Well, welcome back to the year of the good news here at New Freedom Church. We're so happy that you have chosen to join us today, whether in person or online. I want to say you really pushed on and pressed forward to get here today. So let's just give God a hand for his gratefulness, faithfulness, his, his faithfulness to us and the way that we have felt his presence this morning. I have some good news that I'm going to share with you, some gospel news here in just a moment, but I also have some other good news that some are going to be very excited about because next Sunday we are going to be encouraging everyone that that wants to participate to wear their favorite NFL jersey or their favorite team jersey to service because the good news is that the long drought is over for Cincinnati. We made it to the big game. You know, as a a lifelong uh, resident in this area and, and, and pretty much fair weather Bengals fan, that, that is, uh, that's quite an excitement for our city. And uh, we want to uh, continue to uh, see them do well because our city does well. Uh, everyone is, is uh, really just, just feeling the excitement of that, and we want to join in with that. And uh, it, don't worry if you don't have a Bengals jersey or the Bengals aren't your favorite team, wear your jersey because your favorite players will be watching the Super Bowl too, but not from the field. They'll be watching it like we've always been watching it from our television set. But uh, participate with us next week. We have some uh, special music guests next week with us. Uh, Nancy's off for a few weeks, and uh, we're going to have some different things going on. So come ready uh, next week to celebrate. But let's dive into the good news. This is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Turn with me to Mark chapter 4 in your Bibles. I want to share with you a a passage of Scripture today. Uh, I only have four points Somebody said that could take 50 minutes or so. <laughs> I only have four points this morning. I want to share with you a parable of Jesus. It's, it's really called uh, in most Bibles the parable of the sower, but truly I think it's the parable of the soil. It, it doesn't have a lot to do with the sower. It has more to do with the seed and the, the soil, but probably in your Bible it says the parable of the sower, and that's okay. Let's go with that. The parable or a parable is a short lesson with a a story form kind of way that they, it would be told in such a way to illustrate a point and to reveal something, but it wasn't always out front obvious what was happening in a parable. A parable, I like to say, is kind of akin to a time-release capsule. You know, when you take a, some types of medicine, you take some vitamins, they have some, some time-release capsules. Now, some vitamins you take, you get them, and it just puts everything in your system all at once, and you get the full power of that medicine. But others, they have a time-release to where you get a little bit of it now, and then as it, it starts to work through your system, you get a little bit of it later, and then you get a little bit later. And so over time, you're going to get the full effect of everything. And this was really how Jesus taught parables, was like a time-release capsule. The original hearers heard something, but there was so much other things happening. There were so many more truths that were being revealed over time. And even Jesus takes his own disciples aside and they say, hey, would you explain that a little more in depth? Would you tell us a little bit more about that? We're going to see Jesus' words with that in Mark chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Now there's, there's several passages here, so just kind of follow along if you can. I'm reading out of the New King James Version. 
this morning. And again, he began to teach by the sea, and a great multitude was gathered to him so that he got into a boat and sat in on the sea. And the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. This is how Jesus was able to speak to thousands of people without a microphone or a PA system that we have today. It always amazed me. How did Jesus speak to so many people and did not have the technology we have, and we can't seem to speak to a couple hundred unless everything's tuned perfectly? This is the way he did it because uh, voices travel much better over the water, and it would go on to the land, and the the hearers could hear what he was doing. Verse 2, it says, Then he taught them many things by, say that with me, parables. These are short stories that he was telling. By parables, he taught them, and he said to them uh, in his teaching, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and it happened when he sowed that some of the seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it had scorched it, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it and yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground. Somebody say good ground. And yielded a crop and that sprang up, increased and produced, some thirtyfold, some sixty, some hundred. And he said to them, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. But when he was alone, here's the disciples, they come along. When he was alone, those around him and the twelve asked him about the parable. And he said to them, To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, all things come in parables or time-release capsules. They'll get it eventually. So that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins would be forgiven them. Then he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. Now we're going to get it explained. Jesus is going to explain what this is actually about. The sower sows the word. So the seed is not actual seed that comes out of a person's hand and goes in the ground, but it is the word of God. And these are the ones by the wayside where the word has been sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away what has been sown in their hearts. The, these likewise are the ones sown on stony Ground who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. And they have no root in themselves, and so endure for only a time afterward when tribulation or persecution arises for the world's sake, immediately they stumble. Now these are the ones sown among the thorns. They are the ones who, when they hear the word, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things entering in choke out the word, and it becomes unfruitful. But these are the ones sown on good ground. Somebody say good ground. Those who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. The parable of these four soils are really people. This is seed being sown in the hearts of people. So if we look at the seed being the word, the hearts of people being the soils, we notice here by this parable that there are four different conditions of the soil or conditions of people's heart. And three of them, you can miss this, but three of them actually grow from the planting. But only one of them actually has fruit or produces the intended result. We we quickly look at this parable and think that only one of four grew. No, actually three of the four grew up, but only one of them the one on good ground, had the fruit or the result, the desired intended effect of what it was being sown. I look at this really as 
four different conditions of someone's life or four seasons that we all go through. We kind of ebb and flow in life. In this part of the country, we have four seasons. And you can tell a definite difference when you're, you're leaving one season and entering another season. And you see the effects in the outward uh, realm of the nature all around us. You also can feel those effects of the changing seasons in your own life and in your own body. There are some people who uh, maybe they have arthritis, they have some kind of condition. They can almost tell you when a season's changing, when the cold is setting in, when the bariatric pressure is changing, when there is a, a storm on the way. It, it always amazed me how my grandmother used to be able to say, oh, my knee hurts, it's about to rain. I'm like, what? what do you mean? How do you know it's about to rain? Well, her body told her the season was changing. And so there are times in our lives when we are more or less receptive to receiving the word of God, depending on the season of life depending on what we have just recently gone through, depending on what kind of, of conditioning we have been in, in a certain uh, walk and, and maybe a, a set of circumstances, we can have different types of conditions of our own heart. And not all conditions of life are conducive to growing the seed of the word of God. So if these soils are people and we all have different seasons, then we have to look at these four points, these four soils and determine where am I? in this process with receiving God's word in my life today. Each of us are in one of those seasons. We're all there at different times, but we all have the ability to have the seed being sown because as the word of God goes forth weekly from this pulpit, from other podcasts you're listening to, maybe books you're reading, the seed of the word of God is going forward all around the world today. Are we receptive and ready to receive? Let's look what Jesus talked about. He said that there are a sowing of seed that goes on the wayside. The wayside is literally like the hardened ground of the, of the road. Uh, in this day, in the first century, it was common to sow seed out on the ground and then go till the soil. It, it wasn't like the uh, advanced farming techniques that we have today where we know how to maybe till and prepare the ground. They, they had a, a method of farming where they would sow the, so, the seed and then they would go till the ground and that which would fall in would, would grow and they would have a, a harvest. And so what he's saying is this first kind of seed goes out and it falls on hardened ground. It has been trodden under uh, so many times that it's so hard, it doesn't even have the ability to penetrate the soil. It doesn't have the ability to have the farmer come and till the ground. This seed is just simply laying out on the ground and he says, the birds of the air quickly come and gobble it up. Now, interesting, isn't it, that Jesus says in the explanation of the parable, he, he tells about the bird or a winged animal that comes and takes it away. And then he likens that winged animal to what? In an explanation, he says, Satan comes and snatches away that seed. That's interesting to me. That he likens the general parable to a bird or winged animal that flies in and, and snatches it away off the ground because it's easy, it's visible, it's right there. And then he says it's Satan who actually comes to steal the seed. What do we know about Satan later on? The apostle Paul tells us that the thief comes with a purpose. We understand that there are principalities and powers and rulers of darkness in, in, in heavenly places. And the Apostle Paul greatly elaborates that. But we also find out that Jesus says the thief has a job. He has a purpose. There is a plan and a strategy. And what is his strategy? To kill, to steal, and to destroy. What does this bird do? It steals, it destroys, and it snatches away this seed. That's why there are times in someone's life where it is not profitable for you to spend a whole lot of time trying to convince them of the things of God. 
Now, wait a minute, pastor. I thought we were supposed to do the work of an evangelist. We're supposed to always be proclaiming the word of God. We're always supposed to be witnessing our faith. Yes and no. I like what Henry Blackaby said one time in his, his uh, great book, Experiencing God. He said, I don't try to force my way in. I don't try to insert my agenda onto someone else's life. I simply survey the area. I look and find where God is moving. I look to see where God is already at work and I go there and partner with him. That's why when you're witnessing your faith to someone, if they're very hostile to the faith, if they're very closed off and and very uh, antagonistic, there may be in you this desire, I don't want to keep going down that road. And Jesus would actually say, you just dust your feet off and you go on to the next city. We saw that last week in in, uh, chapter three, in chapters two and three. But here's the thing. Many times when witnessing my faith, I'll ask someone, has the Lord been doing anything in your life? Has the Lord been speaking to you? Has the Lord been prompting you? And if they say, no, Lord's not been doing anything in my life. Lord, Lord's not, no, I, I, Lord. Well, that tells me God's not dealing. God's not working. They're in a season of life where they apparently don't need God right now. So I can either try to keep making that seed penetrate that hard ground, or I can simply cast the word of God, the seed, into another place where God is showing me where it's working. And here's the problem with, uh, I think, modern evangelistic efforts or attempts, you know, knocking on everybody's door. That may have worked in the 80s and the 90s, but everybody has ring doorbells now. They're not going to answer you when you come to your, their door like this. They're not going to, so we have to change our methods. The message never changes. We have to change our methods of how that we are disseminating the word of God, the seed of the word of God. And if God is not already working, you may just be like casting out seed that goes wayward. It's on hard ground, but mark my words. There will come a time in that person's life. It may not be today. It may not be next year, but there will come a time when their season changes when their soil is a little bit better, it's ready, it's ripe, it's, it's a time that you can share and you can give the gospel message. We don't always have to force our way in. Let's be led by the spirit of God and then we will know how to truly operate in the spirit of the Lord, amen? And so the wayside just goes out. And then he talks about the stony ground. This is like soil that it, it looks good, but just under the surface, there are stones there. In other words, it's not cultivated and it doesn't have the depth of ground to be able to produce a good fruit. There are some people whose hard places in life have just been barely laid over with a little bit of topsoil, just enough to where they can feel normal again. They're not even really uh, accumulating much ground and growth opportunity, but the hard things of life are just under the surface. And these are the people who you can really upset and offend quickly because you can touch a nerve. You don't have to go very deep to touch a hard place in their life. And God bless them and God loves them. And there are times where where you need to continue to love and, and to witness to them, but you may not be able to break through to them until some of those hard things are extracted and moved. And you may not be the person to do the extraction. It may be someone else. We know that some plant, some water, but who gives the increase? God gives the increase. When I was finishing up my uh, initial Bible college studies in 1998, we took a, a tour 
to the Holy Land. And when we were there, it was, it was a fascinating discovery to see that you could stand in one part on the eastern side of Israel, and you could look to the left, all the way to the west, you would see all this beautiful, lush, green boundary line of, of fields and crops that the Israeli government had, had subsidized and helped the local farmers to plant. And you would look to your right, you would look over further to the east, and you would see that it was rocky, desert-like terrain. I asked the tour guide, I said, why does this field over here look so lush? And if you just step over on this side, even though it's a boundary line of a, another area, it's so rocky. And here's what the, the tour guide told me. He said, young man, just a few years ago, both fields looked the same. But someone took the time to pull out the stony ground, to cultivate that soil. They saw the value that there was something that could be done with that ground. And they took out the rocks, they plowed it over, they brought in the good soil, they created what you see here. And the other guy right over on the other side could do the same if he would till and cultivate the ground. Well, how do we till and cultivate the ground? I think there are many ways we can learn to till the ground. We can, through prayer and repentance and confession, through reading and study and, and fellowship, we can cultivate the ground of our heart. There are ways in which we can open up just a little bit more every day to allow the Spirit of God to work on the inside of the soils of our heart. Or we can stay closed off. We can stay heady and high-minded. We can know it all and never let anybody speak into our lives. We can be those people who always have all the answers, or we can be one that says, you know, I need some help in this area. I need to consult someone who is well-versed in that area. There are some things that I'm dealing with. I may have all these other ducks in a row, but I have a couple ducks that are just out of place. Can someone help me with that? That is cultivating the soil of your heart. Prayer, confession, repentance, maybe forgiveness, a good counselor, a good prayer partner, somebody who can help you in the things of God. Look, look at the third one here, the thorny ground. This seed has a chance to grow. It actually is proof positive that it is decent ground because it's already growing something. What was the thorny ground already growing? Thorns. You know, there are some beautiful things that have thorns attached to them, like a rose. You may look over at the thorny ground and you say, well, there must be some good nutrients in that soil. Look, it's already growing something. So let's not curse the thorny ground. The thorny ground actually has promise. It's got perspective that it already has proven that it is growing. At least it has thorns that are growing. But the thorny ground is much like the stony in the sense that it has some restrictions. There are some, some things that are difficult about the thorny ground. Now, Jesus goes ahead and elaborates a little bit more what the thorny ground is consistent of, what it looks like, the, the makeup and the, the challenges, I would say, of the thorny ground. Here's the first one he says, the cares of this world. So he talks about three areas within the thorny ground that end up choking the life of the seed. The seed goes down, it grows, but its growth is stunted because it gets choked out by three primary areas. And these areas are still the same in our day. And let me illustrate. 
The first one is the cares of this world. What are the cares of this world? How about to-do lists? You know, it's amazing. We are good at creating to-do lists for ourselves and certainly for other people. But how many of us create to-don't lists? Don't do this anymore. To stop doing lists. See, this is the the beef I have with with church ministry programs. We have over 30 ministries in this church. Many of them are are, uh, longstanding. They've been around a long time. But one of the most difficult things in pastoral local church ministry, can I share with you, is ever to stop a program that was once started. It's it's almost like an act of Congress to get a church to stop doing something that it started doing. Why? Because we feel like it's a failure. Well, cousin Minnie started that 20 years ago, and we started to do those basket weaving ministry. And even though she's long gone and nobody's really taking the baskets, let's just give it to the pastor. He'll keep it going. We need to start a to-don't list. Some things we no longer need to do in our church, in our home, in our lives. There are some things that we need to not allow to choke out the life and the growth that's already in us. You know, it's perfectly fine to stop doing some things. It's okay, even some spiritual disciplines that may have gotten a little routine or a little ritual. For years and years and years, I would read a daily devotional by Oswald Chambers called My Utmost for His Highest. I'm just sharing personal here. I love that devotional. And I I was given other devotionals, but I was getting so much out of that one. I just kept reading it again and again, year after year. It's still in my office to this day, but I have, I I disciplined myself to get away from that devotional so that I could go delve into some other wells, so that I could go into some other fields and learn some other things. And I was amazed at how many of those collaborated with what Oswald was already saying. There are some things in your spiritual walk that you may need to modify. You may, may need to change up a little bit. You may need to not do them anymore because they can choke out the things of life that are percolating through the soil. How about this? How about appointments? Appointments are like the cares of the world. We all have cares. We all have appointments. You have doctor's appointments. You have kids' appointments. You have personal appointments. You have banking appointments. There are things that have to be done on schedule and routine. And there are are bills that have to be paid. You don't pay your electric bill, you won't have electric. There There are things that you have to appoint in your life to make happen. And thank God for auto pay. How many are glad for, for just automatically put that thing on there and, and let, it, let it soar? Now, you got to check it every now and then because they'll raise stuff on you. You need to check into that. But the cares of this life of ordering everything in our modern society, all the things that were given to us to take less time and pressure off of us have actually added a burden to us. Can I get an amen? <laughs> it has. These are the cares of the world. How about this? Hurry sickness. We're always in a hurry. We never seem to have enough time to do anything. All the modern conveniences, modern technology. You know, they said in the 1950s that with the the advent of some of the technologies that that were commonplace in a home, like a toaster, an oven, a dishwasher, they thought that within 30 years, the, the average work week for Americans would go to 30 hours. You know what the average work week in 2021 was for Americans? In the upper 50s of hours. How is it that we have all these modern technologies and conveniences, yet we're always in more of a hurry? A hurry for what? Where are we going? Where are we speeding, four-flung to get to somewhere? We get there and we can't focus on there because we have a device that tells us everything that's happening out there. 
We sit down for a family meal and we can never be present with the people we love the best because we're looking at the people we want to be like the most. And we're always trying to keep up with someone else, trying to impress people, buying things we can't afford for impressing someone who doesn't even see us or care about us. These are the cares of the world and they choke out the word of God. If that hurts your toes a little bit, listen, I had to live this before I came on stage and I said, oh, me, Lord, before I can say, amen, Lord, the cares of this world, insert whatever it is in your life. Here's the next one Jesus talks about, the deceitfulness of riches. Can I tell you that money gathering is a trap? Sure, you have to save and and it's good to be wise and you should be a good steward and and you should be good to pay your bills and a person of your word. And if you're a believer, you should be doubly more honorable with your money and the way that you operate financially and fiscally. But money, the accumulation of money to give you some satisfaction of security is a trap. There's a famous story about John D. Rockefeller when he was at the height of his fame here in America. And just to put it in perspective, the richest man in the world today, it, it kind of toggles between the founder of Amazon and the founder of Tesla. Uh, but, but today, if you, you look at the report recently, it's uh, Elon Musk. And he's worth in the neighborhood of 300 billion, with a B, billion dollars, 300 billion dollars. John D. Rockefeller, if you would adjust for inflation, at the height of his wealth, he had amassed about $418 billion. Still by far the most wealthy human on the earth, except maybe for Solomon, if you go back in the Old Testament. But there is this this fascinating story that is a true story. That as John D. Rockefeller was at a news conference one day, this, this smart young reporter thought that he would stump him with some questions and started asking and rattling off all these questions at this news conference. And Rockefeller didn't have the answer to all the questions. In fact, he just retorted back to the reporter and said, I don't care to know about that answer because I pay somebody to know that for me. All I have to do is push a button. They can tell me that answer. Isn't it amazing that today we all are almost like a John D. Rockefeller in that sense? It's hard preaching today in 2022 because you can fact check me in live time. Like you know, somebody's got their Google right now. They're saying, no, he only had 417 billion. <laughs> Just go with me, okay? It may be an evangelistic exaggeration. Preachers are good for that. But John D. Rockefeller was asked this question by this smart reporter. He said, I just have one final question, sir. You are the most wealthy man in all the world that's been reported. And I wanna ask you how much is enough. How much money is enough? John D. Rockefeller sat back in his chair with a contemplative look. He seemed stumped for a moment and he responded famously to that young reporter, just a little more, son, just a little bit more. You see, the deceitfulness of riches is that you are never satisfied with that which you have accumulated. Why? Because somebody always has more. The line always gets restruck and there's always something else. Your toys get bigger and more expensive, but there is never truly this satisfaction that if I get so much in the bank, I'll be satisfied. No, just a little more. And then Jesus famously says, the desires 
of other things. So the thorny ground of our life has three aspects. It's cares of this world choke out the word. The deceitfulness of riches and trying to gain more money choke out the word. And then he says, the cares for other things or the desires for other things. It was once told to me that the proof of desire is found in your pursuit. I desire and I would love to be able to play the piano the way that Nancy played the piano just a little bit ago. But the proof of my desire would be that I'm taking lessons and actively trying to learn that instrument. I can stand down there and desire it and worship and say, wouldn't it be great to sing like that? Wouldn't it be great to play like that? Wouldn't it be great? But I have yet to ever sign up to take the first lesson. Therefore, that's proof positive that I really don't have that bad of a desire for it. I really don't want it that much that I would pursue it that I would go after it. And my question to each and every one of us today is what are you pursuing? What are you going after today? Are you going hard after God? Are you pursuing God? Because if you are going hard after God, if you are pursuing God today, there is not a team of oxen that can keep you from the house of God. Certainly not a snowstorm from the fellowship of the Lord. Certainly you can't be kept out because there's some bad weather. But if you're not going after God, any excuse will do. Ah, the weather's too bad. Well, as a pastor, I understand that. And people who think the weather's too bad and they just probably need to stay home. But can I tell you that when the weather gets good in April and May, there will be those who will say, pastor, I can't come to church. Why? The weather's too good got to go fishing today. And sometimes I feel like I'm pastoring that child book story, the three little bears. The porridge is too hot. The porridge is too cold. The bed is too soft. The bed is, did any of you ever read that as a kid? Come on, you know, it's like that in your home too. It's like that at work. And this is the desire for other things. There are a lot of other things, but this is the main thing. And when you have a desire for the word of God, when you have a desire for the things of God, for the fellowship of the saints, you cannot be stopped from worship. You cannot be stopped from sharing your faith. You cannot be prevented from doing it. A good friend of mine, I called him a couple weeks ago and I said, wouldn't it be great if we had playoff tickets? The Bengals are playing down at Paul Brown. Wouldn't it be great if we have, what if I had playoff tickets today? You know what he said? I'd I'd go with you. I'd drop everything and go with you. And I laughed, but I hung up the phone and my heart got heavy because I haven't seen him in church for six months. But he could drop everything to go to a game. I know it's really quiet in this church right now, but listen. Proof of desire is in your pursuit. People say, follow the money. Yeah, maybe in politics, maybe in personal life, follow the pursuit. Then you will see what is really important to somebody. Now, preacher, are you saying I got to go to church to go to heaven? No, you don't have to go to church to go to heaven. 
But if you don't go to church here and fellowship with the saints, I don't know why you think that you're going to like eternity very much when it is going to be a communion of the saints. It is going to be a fellowship of those who have gone before us and those who are serving with us. This is the most quiet world you're ever going to live in. There is going to be a celebration in a time of rejoicing. Let me get to the last one here. I'll close with the good ground. The good ground is when the seed goes forth, it produces the fruit that it was intended to produce. Now, how does good ground get good? Well, good ground happens because somebody tilled it, somebody plowed it, somebody prepared it, somebody is working that ground. And that's why it's so vital that you train up a child in the way they should go when they're young and when they're old, the scripture promises they'll not depart. Listen, that never says that they won't drift. That never says that they won't fall. But what it's saying is if you prepare that soil while it's young, there will come a receiving time. There will come a time when the planting is received and it will produce a harvest. Sure, life happens. And it comes to us in times to batter the soil of our heart. But what are we doing on a routine basis to make sure that there is a preparation of our soil? Then it talks about the return. And this is interesting to me. It says that the return is some 30, some 60, and some 100-fold. That tells me that the return is not all the same by percentage. Even though it's the same seed going out, it's a different return based on many, many factors. And the fascinating thing about human life is this. I was happy with my 30% return until I looked over the fence and saw that you got 60. I was happy with my house until I bought that ticket to Homerama and I saw what else they're building out there. You were happy with your husband until you saw what she got for Valentine's Day. You were happy with your kids until the perfect Instagram mom posted the picture of her family trip. Can I just encourage you to stay in your lane? Whether it's 30, whether it's 60, whether it's 100, listen, the return is fruitful. And if you will condition and prepare the soil of your own life by taking out those hard places, allowing the Holy Spirit to extract the stones and the rocks and be able to bring nutrients to your soil, when the word of God comes forth, who cares what kind of return it is as long as there's some kind of fruit. I'm just glad there's some kind of fruit. Thank God that there's some kind of growth in our life. As you go to the next part here, I didn't have them put this up, but if you go to the next part, it says that there is uh, more encouragement for us to sow and to plant and to put this seed in the ground. Verses 21 through 25 should encourage us to not give less of the word or the seed, but to give more, to not cover our light with some kind of a covering that the light can't be seen, but to shine it so the whole world can see, to light up with gospel truth this world that we live in. And then I love verses 26 and on. It says that 
as a farmer goes out and plants the seed, the soil does its own work. There is a miracle in the way that it's growing. Listen, you cannot produce a harvest. You can plant for one, you can get the seed ready, but there is a miracle that happens while that seed is underground. When that seed is covered up with earth, there is a miracle and the farmer, all he can do at that point is just watch and wait, watch and wait, look out the window and wait. And maybe you have planted, maybe the the, the word of God has been planted in you and you simply need to sit back and watch and wait. Now here's the mistake so many people do. They get the word implanted in their life They're not seeing the 30, 60, 100 fold. So what do they do? They go and they dig up the seed just to check it. I better go dig up that seed, make sure it's growing. No, 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 no. Don't dig up the seed. The miracle is in the ground. It's happening. It's working when you can't see it. And this tells us a very spiritual lesson that the things which we can see are temporal. The things unseen are eternal. And God is doing an eternal work. Some plant, some water, God gives the increase. Before they sing, I just want to ask you this question. Where are you today? Do you find yourself today listening to this, needing some more information, not quite ready to receive everything that's been said, but needing some more information? That's okay. You're in a time of searching. It's all right. Maybe you're in here this morning and you're in a time where you are ready to take that next step of faith with Jesus and say, I want to launch deep into this thing called the kingdom of God. And if you want to do that, we'd love to pray with you. Or maybe you're here today and there is growth. You're finding yourself strengthened day after day, week after week, you're coming into a fellowship like this and and you're finding that there's strength and it gives you this this encouragement for a couple more days in the week. And yeah, the midweek gets a little bit discouraging, but you can't wait because Sunday's coming soon. And so you find yourself growing and you just want more. Well, we'd love to connect you to some growth groups, to some people around here that would, would show you what they've done to be discipled and to grow in the fellowship of the Lord right here at New Freedom Church. Again, we would love to talk to you. But wherever you find yourself, every one of us has a decision to make today. What are you gonna do with what God has entrusted to you?